was really a special worship, and so was our uh, Cactus Campus and our Northridge Campus, as well as our chapel and our venue. Uh, join us right now for our time in the Word. You know, I don't know what it's like in the other campuses and venues, but obviously today it's been a bit more of a relaxed, uh, subdued uh, type of worship environment that kind of fits the weather, as Derek mentioned earlier. And so I think that's wonderful by design because we're going to spend some time now uh, continuing in our Christmas series. So I want you kind of relaxed and off guard. And so I, uh, we're going to continue in our Christmas series right now, uh, taking a look at, at one chapter in the Bible, John chapter 17, which, you know, you wouldn't think is maybe Christmas themes, but as we're seeing, they all are. And, and, and it's a rather deep series, I'll warn you, meaning that it, it, we're going um, kind of deeper than we might normally do into some uh, concepts of God, some understanding of God. Uh, we do different series around here at our church, and this is definitely what I call a deepening series for those of us in our faith, and we need these uh, on a regular basis. So a little bit more meat today, so that's why I'm glad that uh, you're focused now on Jesus, all of us together, and let's pray, and then we're going to open up his book. Father, I thank you for uh, this season that we're in, not for the uh, superficial materialistic trappings of it, Father, obviously not that. But I thank you that we can focus our sights on something that happened 2,000 years ago that changes our lives today, and that's the coming of Jesus into this world. And Lord, I pray that as we continue to do a deep dive into his incarnation, into his coming into this world, into what it means for us today, I pray, God, that you would continue to draw us closer to you Deepen us in our faith and trust in you. Strengthen us uh, to walk tall with you and for you in this crazy world of ours. And I pray this in Jesus' name and we say together, amen. So the year was 1982. I know that dates me a little bit. And the reason I tell you that about 1982 is it was clearly the year of the manifestation for me. Uh, what do I mean by that? I came to believe in Jesus as my Savior in 1981, March 11th, 1981 to be precise. I've told you the story before, we don't need to go over it again, but I grew up as a nominal churchgoer, I didn't know boo about God or Jesus, I was your typical liberal believer in God as many Americans are, and I met a guy named Joe who was a Youth for Christ staff worker, I didn't know what Youth for Christ was at that time, but within a three month period of time he explained the gospel of Jesus to me, four words, God, sin, Christ, and you, and that made sense to me, the gospel and so on March 11th, 1981, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And what you need to know is that it was real. I meant it. I accepted Jesus as my Savior that night. But as I told you before, I struggled at that point, like so many people do, with submitting my entire life to him. I was 17 years old, I was a junior in high school, and I had been mired in a lot of things that high schoolers do but shouldn't do, and I had a lot of trouble after I accepted Jesus uh, giving up certain areas of my life to him. Uh, you know the old visual, I had one foot in and one foot out, right? 
I, I was what 1 Corinthians 3 would allude to as a carnal Christian. I, I wasn't building my spiritual house very well. Even though I had come to Jesus, I was playing a lot of spiritual games, and I was messing around way too much with sin, and I was very hypocritical in my newfound faith. And just about 20 months into all of this, as a freshman in college, Thanksgiving of 1982, the Hoover Dam of my hypocrisy finally broke. I've told you this story before too, but I I, I keep telling it because it was so powerful for me and I've had experiences since then, but this was clearly a manifestation. In Thanksgiving of 1982, I was home for Thanksgiving break to my little town of Chagrin Falls, Ohio from college. And to make a long story short, I was out partying one night and I met another hypocritical Christian friend from high school who also had one foot in and one foot out. And yet he, in college, had now put both feet in and he was on fire for Jesus. And in only the way that two freshmen and college students could talk to each other, he essentially said to me that night when he saw me with a couple of beers in my hand on my way to getting drunk, he said, man, are you ever a loser? And you have no idea how messed up you are. And you have no idea how amazing it is to finally give it all to Jesus. And again, people have been telling me that for 20 months. I don't know what clicked that night. I'd like to believe it was the Holy Spirit. But something in me, man, just sobered up very quick. I went home that night. And picture me sitting at my little kitchen table in a little town in Ohio at 2 a.m. Mom and dad are in bed. My brother and sister in bed. And it was time to do business with God. And I didn't know what to do, so I pulled out my good news Bible. Remember those? I was given a good news Bible, and I dusted it off because I hadn't read it in about 20 months. And I opened it up, and I didn't know anything about the Bible. So I happened to open up to the book of Philippians. I do remember that. And I read the book. Didn't really understand much. So I tried another book, opened up to the book of Matthew. And I made it about halfway through the book of Matthew, an open Bible, And all I know is that as I opened myself up to Jesus that night and poured my heart out to him and said, I am tired of being a hypocrite. I'm tired of one foot in, one foot out. I'm giving all of me to all of you. Man, something happened that night. It was a manifestation. There was a revealing of God to me. A peace overwhelmed me, a confidence, a security that I was home now with God. And I went to bed that night and I woke up the next morning and I knew that everything was going to be different from this point on. I believe I was saved in 1981, but there was a manifestation of God in my life, a realization of who he really is in Jesus that occurred through an open Bible and a focus on Jesus that, man, changed me forever back then. And here's my point in telling you this story that leads, believe it or not, to our passage and our topic today. And that is this, that without hardly knowing anything about the teachings of Jesus back then, I mean, I was clearly what a buddy of mine called Bible stupid back then, but having now met him in a profound way that night with an open Bible and a laser beam focus on Jesus, I was experiencing something then that Jesus had prayed about and actually predicted thousands of years earlier when he walked this earth. 
I want to show you what I mean. I want us to continue reading right now in John chapter 17, our Christmas chapter for this year. And John 17, you might remember, is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus's in all of the Bible. So it's one long prayer, a very important prayer, as Jesus is finishing up his work on earth and now talking to the Father about a bunch of things. And so let's pick up at verse 6, where we left off last week. We're going to read just through verse 8. And this is what I experienced that night, a true manifestation of who Jesus is. And this is what he says in his prayer. He's talking to the Father. He says, I have manifested your name to the men you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. The words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. Now, we're going to do some real work with these words of Jesus here today because they are rather poetic and it's hard for a lot of people to understand precisely what Jesus is getting at here. You will in just a minute here. But before we do that, let's deal with the elephant in the room here. And that is that though Jesus is talking to the Father here about his original disciples, that's who he's talking about in this prayer, think James, John, Peter, Matthew, Andrew, Thaddeus, guys like that, we know that he is also including, and this is important, any and all future disciples because he's describing here the experience of what sold out followers, what disciples of his realize and experience. He's talking about a manifestation that occurs to those that are fully his. So though he's talking about the original 11 disciples, Judas is not in the picture anymore, he would say in Matthew 28 that those original 11 are to go make more disciples. And so by extension, this prayer includes them as well. That's important to notice. And so with this contextual understanding that includes you and I, notice that Jesus says two key things in these verses on what it means to be a sold-out follower of God. Two key things that are involved in knowing God in such a way that you actually find life in him, this side of heaven. First, Jesus makes clear this, that he, God the Father, manifests himself through Jesus and his word. That is super important, so let me repeat it. First thing Jesus makes clear in this passage is that he, God, manifests himself through Jesus and the word. So Jesus begins by saying in verse 6, and this is the setup for all of what he's going to say up through verse 12, I have manifested your name, Father, to the men that you gave me out of the world. That word manifest is really important. We're going to spend a few minutes on it right now. It's that important of a word. In the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, this word literally means, now don't miss this, to cause, to become clear, to reveal something to the mind and senses. It carries with it the idea that something that is not clear has now been made clear. 
that something that is hazy and cloudy is no longer hazy and cloudy, but clear as the noonday sun. And it's been made clear because of an understanding or a revelation, a revealing of something that was not present before. And as you can imagine, because it's the Bible, this word is used often in the New Testament. Watch this, almost always in the context of Jesus and the revealing of spiritual truths about God for those who might be interested. So, for instance, the very first time this word is used in the New Testament, it's used in Mark chapter 4, verse 22. A profound verse. Jesus is speaking and he says this, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So Jesus is saying that God wants to make clear who he is and bring to light anything secret about him that we would need to know. Sounds like a pretty good thing if you ask me. And then look at how Paul the Apostle would use this same word to convey this idea of spiritual clarity in Romans 3 verse 21. This is really profound stuff. Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been, say the word with me, manifested apart from the law. So this is really good news too. There's a righteousness that comes from God that we can get imputed to our lives that comes not from a bunch of rules as the Old Testament seems to apply, but from another way and that other way has now been revealed or manifested to us. And these are just two examples of a sampling of the dozens of uses of this word manifest in the New Testament, almost all of them positive and life-giving, almost all of them lifting the veil on the confusion that many of us have on a spiritual level. Manifest. It's a good word. It's an even better experience. Now, for those of you who, who still don't get it, I'm going to give you an illustration that will forever allow you to understand what we mean by the word manifest. And here's the illustration. Look at this first picture. This is a picture, obviously, of a bunch of shipping containers, right? On one of those massive ships here. And as many of you know, this is how goods uh, get across the world. Uh, from other countries or from our country to another country, they put them on these massive shipping containers uh, or shipping ships in these shipping containers and they go, let me have the other picture here, to these huge ports where all these massive shipping containers are put in a port and then the goods are brought into a particular country. Now, I have a question for you as you're looking at this picture here, and that is, when a shipping container or thousands of them come into a country, how does that country know what's in them? I mean, without looking inside every one of them, which would be almost impossible to do, how are they to know what's in this one or what's in this one down here? Well, the yard has what they call a shipping, say the word with me, manifest. Good. And that shipping manifest, this is actually my sermon, but just go with me on it. That shipping manifest, and if you ever looked at one, it's really detailed, gives the shipping container number, where it is, how much it weighs, and then everything that's inside of it. And that's exactly how they know, because that manifest 
is super important. Here's what's so cool about it. Now you're finally going to get it. What Jesus is saying is that this is God the Father. And that Jesus came to this earth to manifest the name of the Father. When he says the name of the Father, he means the character, the personhood, who the Father is. And what seems to be a mess and kind of secret, because you don't know what's in these containers, Jesus says, I came to manifest God to you. And so going back to John chapter 17, let's now look at the twin ways that God accomplishes or that Jesus accomplishes this confusion-ending manifestation when it comes to understanding who he is. And the twin ways that Jesus does this, now, this is really important. Go to verses 6 through 8, guys. I'm going to skip the, yeah, perfect. The two ways he does this are this way, and he says it right here in the words to us. The first way he does it is through the word of God. He says in this prayer here that with the original disciples, he has given them the words that the Father had given to him, and then in those words are a revelation. So maybe now you can understand why we have the four Gospels written down and preserved for us that contain the words of Jesus. And then as the Holy Spirit inspired guys like the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John, we have the epistles. And then Jesus already affirmed all of the Old Testament that they were the words of God. So the Bible is not just some great book of antiquity. No, it's the very words of God recorded for us. And Jesus affirms that here. That the way that God has made manifest, revealed to us, is in the words that he came to give, the words that he came to affirm, and as we'll see in a minute here, we have to receive them. That's the first way that he makes the Father or God manifest. The second way God has made manifest here, and you don't want to miss this as well, is when Jesus says in verse 8 here that the original disciples truly understood and he says that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. So we talked a little bit about this last week. That the way that God manifests himself was through sending Jesus to this earth. And that when you see Jesus, you see God because Jesus came forth from the Father and came to help us understand and realize who God is. And so the reason that Jesus is so important is important is because he is the manifest. He is the one who helps us know what is in the containers of God. He is the one who reveals God to us. And that's a super, super important thing for us to understand today because many people today are very confused on how God is actually known, how God is understood, how God is revealed. And here's why this is so important. Your friends and neighbors, your family members, maybe even you yourself, even though you're a regular part of Scottsdale Bible Church, bark up a certain tree on a regular basis hoping to find God and yet what Jesus wants you to know is that the two primary ways you're only ever going to know him are through his revelation of Jesus and what he reveals in his word. 
That's the point of verses six through eight here. That the manifestation, the revelation comes through Jesus and his word. I I pull out the whiteboard again here, not to try to be too didactic or, or, or an academic or anything like that, but just because it's easier sometimes to put this stuff on a, on a board and have you see it in, in black and white, and as we'll see here in a second, in red. Theologians for about 2,000 years now have, as they read the Bible, have, have, have basically said that there are general ways that the Bible affirms that God reveals himself to us. And then there are what I call targeted ways. They call it special revelation, but that doesn't do much for me. I, I would call it targeted revelation. Notice first uh, what the Bible affirms as general ways that God reveals himself. Now, don't miss this, to all people. So this is how God is simply known or made known in this crazy world of ours. First, the Bible affirms that he is known through creation. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, right? So you're out there on a, on a beautiful, calm night, and you're looking up at the stars, and there's something in you that just says, this, this can't be an accident, that this couldn't have just happened through billions of years of evolution. There has to be some designer to this grand universe, and you're on the right track, The Bible says that when you look at creation, when you're hiking in the McDowell's, when you're at the ocean, and you're overwhelmed by this beauty of creation, you'll be drawn to God, because he's the one who made all this. Second way that he generally reveals himself, and this one's really profound, is through this innate sense of right and wrong that we all have inside of us. The Bible affirms this in Romans chapter 2. C.S. Lewis made it popular in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, every single culture known to humankind has always had people in it, every one of us, who were born with this sense of conscience, right? Like this sense that that's wrong and this is right. Like Lewis argues in his book that no culture has ever said that it's brave to run in the face of battle. (laughs) It might be smart to run in the face of battle, but it's not brave. Nobody would ever count that as bravery. Where do we get that sense that that is the right thing to do? Well, we get that because there's a conscience inside of us, a sense of right or wrong, and the Bible says that, and that that comes from God. So you look at creation, you see God, you look inside yourself, you see the imprint of God. Then there's this thing called intuition. Sometimes when people say, why do you believe in God? What do you say? I just know it. And that's legitimate. Augustine said, great famous theologian, that there is a God-shaped vacuum inside all of us that can only be filled by God himself. So there's a hole in our soul that your wife does not fill, your kids do not fill, as wonderful as they are, your job does not fill, your money does not fill, only God does, so intuitively you know that you're empty without him. And then lastly, uh, people. And what I mean by people is, is that no evolutionist, no Darwinist, no naturalist, no humanist has ever been able to explain the advent of love. Have you ever found that? Even my dad, who's a pretty strong naturalist, will tell you that what causes him to believe in God is the reality of love. That the love he experienced between my mother for 60 years before she died and him, and the semi-love that he has for his children, that type of, of love, he says, 
he says, is just so powerful and it so transcends the universe that he sees the imprint of God on that. So these are general uh, ways that God reveals himself to us. Now, here's my point is that the Bible affirms that if these are the only reasons or the only ways that you try to know God, they will fail you at the end for truly knowing him. Romans 1 affirms this. It says that all of us have this kind of knowledge of God, and it's enough knowledge to hold us accountable, but it's not enough knowledge for us to truly know him. We don't know what's in the shipping containers just through these things. And this is why you can go to ASU, NAU, U of A, Ohio State University, who won last night, places like that, And you can go to all of these universities and they'll be debating these things and talking about them, philosophy departments do, and they don't get any further in understanding what's inside the container of God than you or I do. So these things are good ways to understand that there is a God, but they can only take you so far. And here's the cool thing. God knows that. He's not dumb. He knows that these are general manifestations of him. So in history past, he decided to get more targeted and he gave us Jesus and the word. And through Jesus and the word, we have a much more clear sense on who God is. This is so biblical, guys. You got to hang with me on this. The, the book of Hebrews, which I've been spending my quiet time in the last few weeks, is really clear on this. Look at how the book of Hebrews begins in talking about Jesus. This is so cool. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, so God has spoken a lot over the years, set, and he goes on to say, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the world. So Jesus is radically different than any other human being. Obviously, he's God come in the flesh. He was at the time of creation. He existed before creation. And God has chosen to reveal himself in these last days through Jesus. And then notice what the book of Hebrews would say a few chapters later in talking about the word or the words of God. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. (laughs) So the words of God are also targeted and special in their revelation of who God is. You see, what I'm trying to help you understand here is that Jesus and the Word are the primary ways that God chooses, at least in this iteration of the universe over the last 2,000 years, to communicate who He is to us. And now let's bring this full circle. This is why, in Thanksgiving of 1982... Even as a Christian, as I sat there at 2 a.m. at my parents' kitchen table with an open Bible focused on Jesus, the manifestation became clear. Because it was only when I was willing to open up this book and dust it off, even though I didn't understand much of it, and immerse myself in the very words of God, 
and then have the guts to open myself up to Jesus, the same Jesus I came to believe in 20 months earlier, but that I was resisting and like Jonah, running from until I stopped and opened up myself squarely to him and said with an open Bible, I am yours, would you be fully mine? It was only then that the manifestation occurred. It was only then that I started to understood just a little bit at that time what was inside the cargo shipping containers of God. It was only then that I started to understand who he was. And since then, and I told you this earlier, I've had lots of other times where I've opened up my Bible and opened up myself squarely to Jesus. And not every time, but much of it. And the manifestation continues. Here's the point, guys. He wants you to know him. He wants you to find your satisfaction, your fullness, your contentment, your security in him. And yet you got to come to him on his terms. And these are his terms. Jesus and the word. These are all good things. Our world is into this. Christians are into this. But those will only take you so far. This is where your bread is buttered. And when God finally has you here, when you are in these regular manifest moments, there is a response he wants from you. And Jesus is really clear about this in our passage as well. And it's the second thing that Jesus tells us about God and his followers. And so let's uh, first look at what it is. And it's this, that our response is to receive and believe and keep. Hey guys, for the next service, that should be a two there, but that's okay. Our response is to receive and believe and keep. So show us the passage here so that we can see this in, in yellow here. <laughs> Jesus tells us here, as he's telling us all about the word and all about he himself as the one who manifests the Father, what does he say? He says that they received the words and then they believed that Jesus is the one who reveals the Father and then they have kept these words. So we receive, we believe, and we keep. That's precisely what God is looking for from you. He manifests himself through Jesus and the word, and we believe, we receive, and then we do our best to keep. Now, we have just around 10 minutes before we go to the communion table. I know none of you are watching the clock, but just trust me, we have about 10 minutes before the communion table. And I want to wrap up today, I know I've given you a lot, but this is really important stuff. I want to wrap up today with one further insight that Jesus gives us here concerning this experiencing of his manifestation to us as his followers. And I'll just warn you, it's an extremely important insight that Jesus gives us, and it's to all of us as a whole. In other words, we've been talking rather individualistic up to this point, right? It's like you can apply this individualistically, you can apply this individualistically to your life. But what Jesus is about to do is move into the plural in his words and say something to all of us as disciples. And it's found in verse 11, and let's read what he goes on to say. As he's talking to the Father, he says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves meaning the disciples, and by extension us, are in the world. And I come to you, Father. Holy Father, 
By the way, this is the first time in these verses since verse 6 he's going to ask the Father of everything, anything. Everything's been prelude up to this point. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Now this is very fascinating, folks. Speaking in the plural about his original disciples, and again, by extension, us, Jesus, notice here, asks two things uh, for us. Two things that I'm going to argue act as signs that his manifestation has actually taken root in us as a collective group of disciples. And the two things that he asks are that the Father keeps us in his name and that we stay as one just as the Trinity of God is one. Very quickly, notice what, oh no, go back, go back, go back. I like how you guys are sharp though. Notice very quickly here that, that he says in the text here, he says that he prays that the Father would keep us. Now, very quickly, what, what does that mean, keep us? Keep us from what? Well, the context is actually pretty clear here. He says that we ourselves are still in the world, even though he's leaving the world. So could, could it be that what he's saying is, keep us holy, as he talks to his holy father, keep us holy and set apart from this world, this crazy, mixed up, out of control world that we still have to remain in. Give me a head now that that might be a good contextual understanding of what it means to be kept. We also know from verse 6 that when Jesus said, keep them in your word, that maybe that has something to do with it too. So just get this mental image in it. That the part of what Jesus prays for for us is that we would be kept faithful in his word and kept set apart from all the crud going on around us. I think that's the first thing he's praying for here. And then he says, and may they be one even as we are. That's really rich. That's for a whole other sermon in one sense. Because when he says, as we are, what does he mean by that? Well, he means as Father, Son, and eventually Holy Spirit, as we are a eternally existing trinity that though we have different roles and are divergent from each other in person are actually one in essence that's the trinity he says man i wish my followers could be like that i wish that though jamie and richard might disagree sometimes love you brother that we would still be one in our unity, one in our purpose, one in our love, one in our mission, one in our relationality, that though we're all different, like the Trinity's different, we would still have this unity of us. These are the signs of his manifestation that Jesus prays for. Now, let's give them to you in principle, in, in principle form here. What he's saying is, is that the signs that his manifestation has actually taken root in any particular group of followers are that they are faithful to God and his truth and that they have unity with one another. Whoa. Faithfulness to God and his truth and unity with each other. Folks, listen. This is how we know if God is truly on the move in our midst as a church. This is how we know if he has truly manifest himself, if he has truly manifest himself, through Jesus and his word, in us as his people. To the degree that we are faithful to him, set apart and holy, 
focused on his truth as outlined in his word, the truth of who he is, the values that he holds dear, dear as countercultural as those values might be, and having consistency to boot to the degree that we have that is to the degree that we can claim to have truly understood what is in the cargo containers of God. And then if we have unity with each other, man, if we love each other amidst all the divergence, amidst the disagreement, the petty hurts, even the deep hurts, if we can truly love each other through that, then yes, we have the manifestation in us. These are inarguable signs that a church, his followers have experienced and embraced the manifestation that comes through Jesus and his word. It's the signs of a church that truly knows God. And so maybe now you can see why the vision statement of Scottsdale Bible Church, I believe, is so right on and rich. Here's our vision statement taken right from our website. The vision of SBC is to create a community of Christ followers, disciples, who are marked by an unwavering faith, a faithfulness befitting followers of Jesus and an unconditional love that puts up with crud in each other on a regular basis and doesn't mind doing so because here's what's at stake. And that is that we have a world, as I said earlier, and you guys know this, that at best, on their best day, is seeking for God in these places, right? Like they go up to Sedona with crystals and try to find vortexes, and I'm not making fun of it because it's a very, very real thing. They're basically worshiping creation, thinking God is found there. Or we have a bunch of moralists in our culture today, and I'm glad, I'm glad people try to be moral, that basically say, if I can just you know, be more right than wrong and have more morals than not, then maybe I can find God that way, and certainly he'll let me into heaven. And then we have people who do intuition, and obviously our world overdoses on love. People are trying to find God all through here. And the problem is, he's not gonna be found in the way that he needs to in these ways. The only way he's gonna be found is through what we're celebrating here at Christmas. Through Jesus, the, re- the revelation of God, the manifestation of God, and-, and what his word says about who God is. And without that, they won't know God. And here's my point, is that some of them might never open up their Bible. They might never be all that interested in Jesus. <laughs> but they know you, and they know me, and they see this big church on the corner, and they see Northridge up in North Scottsdale and Cactus over in North Phoenix. They see that. And once in a blue moon, they might meet somebody from that church. And you believe me, if they see Jesus in you, if they see even just a little bit of Jesus in you, and if they see his word in you, imagine what God just might do with that. Imagine what he might do with that kind of targeted revelation. As somebody once said, you might be the only Bible somebody ever reads. And that's what's at stake with all of this. Closing story, and then we'll go to communion. After my manifestation moment and Thanksgiving of 1982, I went back to Hillsdale College, where I'm an alumni from, and, and I went back to Hillsdale. And Hillsdale at that time was not like it is today. Now it's like this, you know, very Christian, you know, university or college, and, and back then it was not. And so I went back there, and I went back to my fraternity that I was in, Go Sigma Chi, and, and, and I now was a very changed man 
and most of my fraternity was not. And so here I was, the lone Christian among these 50 Animal House party guys, and, and, and I started to, to share Jesus with them. But you see, here's the problem, and, and I said this to you earlier, I still didn't know a lot of the Bible, and, and though I was on fire for Jesus, I still was kind of a mess inside, and I had anger issues. I know it's hard to picture me with anger issues, but just go with it. I had anger issues, and, and I was impetuous. I was just like the Apostle Peter and all that stuff, and, uh, and, and so I still made a lot of mistakes. And I knew I did, and I felt bad for most of the ones I made. And I'll never forget one day I was having a conversation with one of my fraternity members named Phil, who, 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 had, who on his best day, Phil was maybe here. You know, like, I mean, didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe in any of that stuff, but, but he had a general interest in God, and he and I were having lunch. And, and I just said to him, I was confessing to him, I've always been honest, I said, man, I, I'm not sure I'm going to help you. <laughs> I said, because I, I'm in love with Jesus, I'm in love with his word, but I'm really new at this, and I, I mess up a lot. <laughs> and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, ah, he said, you need to understand something. He said, I saw you before November. <laughs> I saw you fall down drunk back to the dorm room. I saw you chasing girls. I saw you doing all the things. I, I heard your potty mouth. I saw all those things in you. And, and he said, and, 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 and when you came back after Thanksgiving... Every one of us knows something is drastically different about you. And I said to him, you mean for the better? <laughs> and, and he said, yes, for the better. And he said, yeah, you still mess up. Yeah, you still got your issues. But, but there's something different in you. And then he said this, and I'm very interested in how that happens. See, that's exactly what happens when the manifestation occurs, <laughs> They see something different in you. They see something different in us, amen? And in that differentness, they go, maybe that's for me. Because God loves them just as much as he loves you. And he wants all of us in that sweet spot before Jesus with an open Bible. So let's spend time there this week, okay? And I promise you, you'll be glad you did. Father, thank you for all that Jesus means to us. Thank you for this season, that though I'd like to believe God, we celebrate Jesus every moment of every day here in this church, and we do. We do reserve special time this month to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus into this world. And so God, I pray that as we continue to, to focus on John 17, and today, Lord, this idea of the manifestation of you to us through Jesus in his word, that God, that reality would not escape any of us and that we would not be afraid to square off before you, open up your Bible, and let's do business. Let's find out who you are on a deeper level. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.